Thanks everyone for uh, coming out to the tent tonight for the preaching of the gospel. Uh, we're very thankful for everyone who has come from, from near and far. Uh, so we'd just like to remind everyone tonight, uh, the meetings will continue, uh, Lord willing, that's if uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has not returned, um, each night, Monday through Friday, at 7.30 each night, uh, and next Sunday as well at 7.30. Uh, and so uh, if you have any questions or anything like that, comments, whatever it is, criticism, we would take all of them. Um, uh, and we're, we're approachable people. We're, um, we're, we're looking uh, to talk to anyone who has any questions about these things. And if you want a Bible too, someone has told me to mention as well, we have a number of Bibles on the back table. We started with eight, we still have eight. That means no one has stolen one, right? Now we want you to take them though. So we would be do anything to end the week with none, right? And uh, if you knew it, my brother has another thousand in his basement. So we have pretty much an, an everlasting su- a supply of Bibles. So if you want a Bible, we'd be glad to give you one as well. So um, before we open up the Bible tonight and speak from it, we'll ask for God's blessing on our meeting and we'll pray. Our Father in Heaven, we give Thee thanks tonight for many things, for family, for uh, the love of family and friends, for relationships here on earth, and yet we would thank Thee most of all, without any reserve and without any question, for the possibility and for some of us the assurance of a relationship with a man who is in Heaven, the one who died for us. We're thankful for what the hymn writer has said, that if his death has not paid my debt, then nothing will. And so we're thankful tonight to be able to preach that Christ Jesus came into this world to pay a debt he didn't owe and a debt I could not pay when he died for my sin. Help us to make it clear tonight. We pray for all in our tent, some very young, some towards the outer end of life. We would ask no matter the case, we know that Christ can save and save to the uttermost. Give us help tonight as we ask this in my son's name. Amen. Just one verse tonight. It's found in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's going to be towards the the, the right side of your Bible. Um, 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to read verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. Corinthians 5 and 14, we'll just read this verse here. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says here, For the love of Christ, it constraineth us. Really, it controls us. This is the, this is the controlling factor of our message tonight is the love of Christ. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge. This is the, the estimation of not only our message tonight, but of the entire Bible, of all that we would seek to you for you to know tonight. This is it. We thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. I just want to speak on those few words tonight. If one died for all. Or as we would just say, one died for all. If you go to any one of our monetary coins... No one carries pennies anymore. If you go to Canada, they don't even have pennies anymore. But from the penny to the quarter to the half dollar to our, our one dollar coin, there's a phrase on every single one of them, and it says, E pluribus unum. 
You probably wondered what it meant. I did the task of finding out for you what it meant. It means out of many come one. And you'd say, oh, that's, 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 that's what makes the heart grow fond, right? We, out of many come one. We would say, God bless America. If we could somehow get into a song, Ea Pluribus Unum, it doesn't rhyme well with some of our other national anthem lines, but if we could somehow get that into a song, or somehow, it actually was the motto of the U.S. before In God We Trust uh, took over as the motto. I think it was 1956. But out of many come one. And, and you know what happens is you say it, you think it sounds lovely. We've all been told about the United States as this salad bowl idea. You take a lot of things. You throw them in and, and we get one thing, but 330 million of us, and you'd say, really, how united are we? Out of many come one, you'd say, that's a fable. Because I know as well as you know that in order to get 330 million people to become one, it just doesn't happen overnight. You'd say, it's not just something that we could just give out a command or an edict, or we could say, hey, everyone, get along. Who really cares who's president, right? Who really cares what state you live in? Who really cares how many taxes you're paying? You're next to another human being. Get along with them. And we could say, out of many should come one. But you know what it takes? It takes sacrifice. It takes a whole lot of sacrifice to get 330 million people to act as one. When one died for all, it took an ultimate sacrifice. To get from that one that we read about tonight to the all... The fact that one died for all, you say, it took a sacrifice. And you say to me tonight, because this is the gospel message, and, and I, I would say it each night, what prompted that sacrifice? What prompted one died for all? Because I would tell you as a fellow American, 330 million becoming one, probably not going to happen in my lifetime. I don't know if it's ever happened. And you say, what would prompt it? I have no idea. But I can tell you tonight, beyond politics and beyond nation, beyond my citizenship, I can tell you tonight what prompted one dying for all. The love of Christ. Without doubt. The love of Christ. And so our verse starts that, and it says, the love of Christ. And, and uh, I, I, a, a quote, maybe well known to some here, but it was a man named Karl Barth. And he was probably one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. Let's include the 21st for all intents and purposes. One of the greatest theologians. He had 12 volumes. I think each volume was about 400, 450 to 500 pages. And if you were to buy them, you'd reinforce your library shelf just to get them up there. 12 volumes about, about church doctrine and church dogma and, and all these truths that are sometimes more complicated than, than for most of us standing on the platform. And you'd say, here was Mr. Barth, and, and a man interviewed him and said, Mr. Barth, just sum up for me, sum up for me everything you've ever written in your life. Sum it up. What an insulting question. Although he didn't think so, and he said gladly. And he used the words of Anna Warner, who's buried in West Point, right up there in New York. He used her words, and he said this. Everything I've ever written can be summed up in these words. Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Sum up 66 books. Sum up over 42 authors, written over 1,500 years. Sum it all up. Jesus loves you. The Bible tells you so. The love of Christ is what we would seek to demonstrate to you tonight. And in case you were wondering... Because love that does not sacrifice is no love at all. And love 
The love of Christ comes across to me just on these pages as we read them, and it tells me this, one died for all. One died for all. It, 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 is, it is this Bible that, that, that tells me about a, a day on the, on the seas there where a, a storm, probably some type of a demonic storm, come upon the disciples and the Lord Jesus Christ and it, it tossed that boat just as it were like a rag in the wind and, and it tossed it and, and Christ awoke from the back and, and He said unto the waves and He said unto the winds He, he, he muzzled them. He just said, be silent. Peace. And you know what the disciples, they said? They said, what? What manner of man is this? You know what they were asking? Where is he from? Where is he from? Where has he come from? John, the Apostle John, he writes in one of his books, he uses that same phrase, and he says, what manner of love is this? Where does this love come from? This love comes from our darkest day. The worst day of humanity happened on April 3rd, AD 33, outside of Jerusalem, when a man died on a cross. That's our worst day as a creation. Our worst day as an existence. Our worst day as a creation is that day. And from that day, we are guaranteed this. We are loved. Without any shadow of a doubt. Without any, without any qualm, without any reservation. If you leave the meeting tonight and you're just still wondering, how can I be sure of salvation and heaven? How can I be sure that my sins are forgiven? And people leave this meeting with those questions and with those doubts. Do not leave this meeting with this doubt in your mind. Am I loved by the God of heaven? Without doubt you are because He gave His Son for you. And one died for all. And the Bible, as though it, 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 it just wants to reinforce that, it uses that term, the love of Christ. And it rarely uses it in your Bible, but it, it uses it. And, and it asks us this question, what could ever separate me from the love of Christ? Could life? No. Could death? No. Could angels? It says no. Could kings? No. Could any power on earth? No. Height? No. Death? No. Could any living thing separate me from the love of Christ? The answer, with a resounding echo and thunder, is no. What keeps people out of heaven then? Look no farther than yourself. We can blame anyone we want. But the only thing that keeps me from ever knowing that only was I loved by Christ, that He died for my sins, the only thing that ever keeps me from that you look no farther than the frame that your soul occupies. Because you could occupy heaven one time. You could occupy heaven one day based on the simple truth that one died for all. Just one died for all. The psalmist has said that his love is better than life. One of the great songwriters in our Bible has said that his love is stronger than death. And, and, and it uses that. And it brings me right in here. And it says this, that, that one died for all. You say, that's... That's nothing new. That's nothing new. Oh, I forget who I was riding with yesterday. We went by a cemetery and, and they said to me, you know, there's, there's all these things about cemeteries that you've got you to gotta remember. I remember, uh, we, you know, you can't walk on graves and it's, uh, there's all these superstitions about the place. But you know what? Of all the things, and we used to visit them all the time because of people that we had there and, and it was a sacred place. But you know what it reminded me of? I'm guaranteed to die one day. One out of one, people die. It's, it's a guarantee in life. And so the fact that our verse starts and says, one died, you say, tell me something I don't know. Tell me something that's new. 
Tell me something, Dave, that'll tickle my ears. No matter when you die, no matter how you die, no matter who eulogizes you, no matter who officiates, no matter how many people show up. I asked a man at the tent the other night, who gets to go to heaven? And he remarked about a man and he said the line was out the door at the funeral home. I don't care if two people come to the funeral or 2,000. You want to know? When it comes time to die, there's only one reason for that death to have ever occurred. It's because of sins. It doesn't matter if it's an infant that dies. It doesn't matter if it's an elderly person that dies. I've, I've carried a couple caskets in my life. One I could have carried by myself. One, I remember, was about eight grandchildren that carried my grandmother. And you'd say, every single time that I go to a funeral, every single time that I've been to a cemetery, on the rare occasions when I've carried a casket, I have never, ever asked the question, why are they there? Because the Bible says it in words true and simple. The wages of sin is death. The question to ask is, why would they ever be there? Because the gift of God is eternal life. Because one died for all. And so when I look at this, one died for all, I can tell you something that maybe you do not know, and it is this. When you just become that dash between two dates, the only reason for that is death. And the only reason that your body will ever be brought from that place to that place, the only reason that your soul will ever be there, is because of this. There was one man who did not die because of sins, he died for sins. There was one man who did not die because of what he had done. He died for what you have done. He died because of grace. And he went to Calvary and he did not look back on a life of regret and remorse. And as it were, things that we would have loved to have changed. A life of just, if we could have had a second opportunity. He never looked back for a second. In fact, he looked forward, the Bible says, to the joy that was set before him. That he might endure that cross. Why? Because one died for all. One died for all. And you say, just to look at death, just in the way the Bible says it, it tells me about a man, the first man to ever die in our Bible, Abel. And if ever you wonder about how depraved our society, our world is, the first man to ever die was killed by his brother. You can imagine, if if that's where we began in sin, where are we today? Where are we today in 2017? If in the beginning... If in the first couple years or days of existence, if a man died because his own brother killed him, where are we today? You know what it says about Abel's blood? It says it cries out for revenge. It cries out. It wants justice. It wants someone to be just. Every other man who's died since him, his blood has cried out for the same thing. You go to courtrooms and you see mothers who have lost their children. You see parents who have lost innocence. And you know what they want? They want justice. They want justice to be served. When Christ died, what did His blood cry out for? Forgiveness. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. Would He cleanse your sins? I can assure you that He would. Because one died for all. No one's excluded. No one's drawn out of this. One died for all. And if I were just to... If I were just to ask you and ask, ask you simply tonight, if one died for all, 
how come everyone's not going home? How come I stand at the back of the tent every night and as it were, if I get one more prayer, it's for an empty hell and a full heaven. How come that won't happen? If one died for all my sins, if one died for all my wrongs, if one died for all, I don't care how you want to define it, all is one of those words, it almost lacks definition because it's so inclusive. If one died for all, how come heaven won't include all? What is the deciding factor? If nothing will separate us from the love of Christ, as I've asked you before, why is it? Why is it that people turn away? Why is it that people can turn their backs on a love that has asked them to do nothing to deserve it? On a love that is without cause? On a love that comes down and meets you in your darkest moments, in your darkest hours, in your worst condition? Because God loved us while we were still sinners. And God loved us before the first sin was committed. And God will love us after the last sin has been echoed from our lips. God will love us years after we have died. And God will love us whether we end up in heaven or in hell. God loves us, period. Tonight, what are the chances that you could say that you would be in heaven, period? It would only be because of this. Because one died for you, period. Nothing else. Sentence ends. It's a book that has one page. It has one sentence. Christ died for our sins. That is it. And so Paul brings this out so simply, and he says, one has died for all. That you say, one sin, one sin wrecks me. One sin wrecks my eternity. In fact, many of us would know that just one sin could wreck a family. One sin could wreck a nation. One sin could wreck a world. And yet God comes down and says... Even if it was just one sin, there was one sacrifice for sins. Because one Father, one God, gave one Son, and one day, He suffered, and one died for all. He would have done it for one. I'm glad to tell you there's more than one going to heaven tonight. Heaven's going to have a population that will be without number. But He would have done it if you could have numbered heaven's population. Because that's the love of Christ. God loves. God comes down. And you'd say, how do I get from one to all? How did Dave, what is the bridge between those two, as it were, irreconcilable words? One that speaks of something so small, as it were. Just one. You say, how can it be that one died for all? It's like an ocean of people drowning who can't swim. All it takes is one man who can to rescue him. We're drowning in the ocean of our sins and there was one man who didn't have our problem. There was one man without sin. And one and all are reconciled at only one place, at Calvary, when one died for all. I'm glad tonight that I can tell you this. That if it weren't for that, if it weren't for that four there, that would never exist. I'd never tell you the 25 words of John 3.16 because for God so loved the world would be empty words on a page if it weren't for the fact that one died for all. And in case you leave the tent tonight thinking that this is just some grand offer and that it just, it just probably takes in anybody and everybody, and it does. 
There was a time in my life where I realized this. Not only did one die for all, but the Son of God loved me and He gave Himself for all. No, it doesn't say that. It says the Son of God loved me and He gave Himself for me. You see, God knew me. God knows my name. Before my name was even given to me, before my weight could have been told to my grandfather or grandmother on August 20th, 1983, he knew my stature, he knew my frame. But you know what he knew more than that? You know what he knew more than where I would be born in Ridgewood, New Jersey, more than my parents, more than my siblings that would come after me? You know what he knew more than all that? He knew that I would be born guilty. He knew that I would be born in sin and I would be shaped by iniquity all the years of my life. And so before any of that, he could say, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And to prove it, he gave the only one that he loved for me. And one died for all. So I ask you tonight, I ask you, I, I, I used to ask people, did he die for you? I used to say that. I can remember. I've, I've been preaching the gospel not for many years, maybe six or seven years. I used to you'd have it written down on my notes, just at the bottom page of my notes. It would say, end by saying this. And I would say, did he die for you? I don't have to ask you that. He did. I don't have to ask you. I don't, I don't need a response. I can tell you as sure as the ink that is on these pages is true that one died for you. That Christ died for your sins. That Christ died... If I could get your name tonight, I would tell you that. That's a truth. Whether or not you want to believe it tonight is a different thing. Because God forces no one to come home. That's not heaven. God forces no one to take His Son and His Son alone. That's why so many people would take anything else but this one. But if there is a chance, by the grace of God tonight, that it's enough that one died for you, you could be assured beyond any shadow of a doubt, not only did Christ love you, and that nothing could separate you from that love, but that He died for your sins. And that, my friend is the passport to the realms of bliss. Those simple words, Jesus died for me. Nothing else. My hope is built on nothing less than this. One died for me. And that one was God's son. And so I ask you tonight, respond to it. Respond to that. You could trust that. And you could simply know That volume is summed up in this. Christ died for our sins. Some will take it. Some will leave it. It doesn't change it. It changes you. If you would come to know Christ as your Savior tonight, that one died for all. It's good to see all those that have made it out tonight. With God's help, I'd like to tell you my personal story. We use the term saved, converted, born again, on our way to heaven. I'd like to tell you what God did in my life at the age of 22. So let's read together. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs in chapter 9.
Now consider the words that we're reading tonight are words that spoke to me uh, at midnight on August 19th, 2001. These were words uh, that God used to penetrate a very calloused, hardened heart. And maybe they'll speak to you tonight. So let's look. Proverbs of chapter 9 and verse 17. Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Chapter 10. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. Now let's just move forward in the book of Isaiah in chapter 53. Isaiah in chapter 53. And verse 3. Isaiah 53 and verse 3. Here it's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Now look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now let's look at John chapter 3 for our last reading together. If you have your Bible and you're tracking along, we'll go Matthew, is the first book in the New Testament. We'll go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John and the third chapter. John chapter 3 and verse 16. Now this verse is behind me to my left, to your right. Uh, But let's read it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's been perhaps a year since I've actually told my personal story uh, publicly. But as I seek to share with you what God did in my life, I trust that by hearing that story, if God, you, you have this understanding that if God can save a sinner like Matt, God can save me. And I look back to a life uh, filled with wretchedness and, and, and absolute darkness. And to have the understanding now of being saved 17 or so years, to have the understanding that God in His grace reached down and He plucked me, as it were, right from the brand, right from a place that I could have dropped and entered eternity, absolutely lost. And He took me by the grace of God and He saved my precious soul and He put my feet upon solid rock. He can do the same for you. 
And the only reason that I share any story tonight, uh, and you might say, well, Matt, uh, maybe you're sharing some stories of sin. The only reason I'll share any story, and I'll try to be as careful as I can, especially with those that are younger here today, it's not to glorify the enemy. The God of this world is a wicked being. And there's sin. But it's to glorify Christ. Because what God did in my life, He took me out of death and He brought me into life. And you can have that today. That's why we read those words, for God so loved the world. Did you realize that as a child, I grew up in a gospel-filled home. I know what it's like to memorize scripture. I know what it's like to uh, sit down for a meal and there was nothing else that was more important than to pray to the God of heaven. I know what it's like to uh, sit down and uh, get ready for school and as the bus would show up to my home, my mother would open up the word of God and I could hear the bus down the street. I could see that yellow bus. And my mom would decide to open up scripture. This was every morning. And we'd go through verses that I was memorizing. And the bus would show up. But if my mom wasn't done reading, the bus would have to continue. And she'd drive me 15 miles to our school. God was important in our home. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ was preached in our home. We attended every church service. We attended meetings just like this. And yet I tell you all this to to, to bring about one point that regardless of all the scripture that I memorized as a child, Psalm 22, Proverbs 1, Isaiah 53, John 3, I can go all day. I did not know who Christ was. And I was lost in my sins. And I was destined to hell and the lake of fire because of my sins. And I could sing those words at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was a favorite hymn of mine, but I was lost. And I appeal to you today, friend, if if you think that perhaps, well, I know scripture and maybe that will merit some place in heaven. The Bible says it won't. If you know Christ, it will. And I never knew Christ. And yet I could understand and and memorize scripture. And and, uh, as a young boy, we would attend meetings uh, by Mr. Kimber. That's what we call him, David Kimber. uh, I remember Mr. Kimber, he had a sort of a red nose. Uh, I have red cheeks, but Mr. Kimber had a red nose. And as kids, we'd sort of laugh. Every time we saw him, we'd say, look at his nose, it's red again. Until he started preaching. And we'd leave that particular tent meeting. I was certain that I was dying in my sins every time I left. There was something about Mr. Kimber. He didn't set up a tent at a Christian school or at at a lot like this. It's very friendly. As a matter of fact, he set set up a tent in a cemetery. And we had to drive an hour and a half to attend a tent meeting. There wasn't two weeks of meetings. There were months of meetings. Some of you that are older, you remember those days. Months. And we drove an hour and a half. It was the priority of my parents to see us saved. And we would sit there and I'd walk through the cemetery to get to the tent. And Mr. Kimber would tell us all about hell. And he touched just a little bit about heaven. And he'd tell us all about Christ. And I was lost. And I'd walk back to my car, and the days were very silent. We'd drive home in absolute silence. All my parents wanted was for their boys to be saved. I had a younger brother, Mark. If you were to ask... um, my parents, uh, do you want Matt to be a doctor? Do you want Matt to be a lawyer? No, none of that mattered. It was Matt was to be saved. If you were to ask me, and it's interesting how God works. If you were to have asked me, and I used to jump on a little trampoline at the bottom of our basement, and at, at the age of, well, Jonathan's age maybe, and a little, little bit younger, but I used to sing hymns. That's all I did. My mom could hear me at the top of the kitchen. 
And if you were to come downstairs one day and say, Matt, what do you want to be when you grow older? It wasn't a baseball player. A lot of my friends wanted to be ball players. It wasn't to play basketball. It wasn't to be rich. I wanted to be a preacher. I was lost. But I just knew that there was something about sharing that message of God's love for sinners. And I sat under many of tent meeting, many of gospel meeting, and I thought, boy, that's all I want to do when I get older. And yet I was lost. I was lost in my sins. God started to speak. And I wonder if God has spoken to you. I just met with an individual right even before the tent meeting. And he told me, God's working in my life. I've got things happening with my health. And I need you to pray. That's how God's speaking. And I attended at two funerals that I'll never forget. One was my Pepe Hebert. That's Pepe means uh, grandfather in French. And I remember walking through that huge cathedral and hearing a man tell us how good of a man he was. And I knew he was a wicked man. I already told you the past week, he was a violent man. He was an alcoholic. He was a boxer. Everywhere he went, he started fighting. He never lost. And I walked there and I stood in front of Pepe Hebert's casket uh, and I wondered, where is he? A year to the day, this is how God speaks, a year to the day, I entered the same cathedral, the same uh, organization, the same church, but in Canada. And I stood before my Pepe Landry on my mother's side. And I wondered, where is he? He was a wicked man as well. I don't know what it's like to show up to my grandparents' home, perhaps, and uh, to sit on their knee and to have them put their arm around me and tell me they love me. I never knew what that was like. They were wicked people. My, grand- my grandfather, my grandmothers were just gems. They had to put up with that nonsense. But that's how I grew up. And so uh, those were two moments in my life that I, I look back to and say, you say, oh, Matt, what spoke to you? It was death that spoke. I believe sometimes death can be the greatest preacher. Because as you face death, and I ask you the the question very transparently and right before heaven, I do it, friend, with the authority of the Word of God. I ask you, if you face death, where are you going? Because the Bible talks about two places, not three. I grew up with friends who thought there was a wrestling place, some sort of purgatory. No, there's none of that. The Bible says heaven above or hell beneath. And the Bible says you're going to either one. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me. That's what Dave was preaching about. So let's just jump. I'm going to fast forward. I heard the gospel my whole life. As I moved into high school, I was picked on a little bit in my freshman year and bullied. uh, And that's why I have no tolerance, even to this day, for any bullies. I don't like hearing people talk about people. It bothers me. And my freshman year, I got picked on. Do you want to know why? Because my parents, uh, as far as I know, they were first-generation Christians. They were saved out of a, out of a religion of, of, uh, of, of law and of, and of rules and of good works and of money to the church. They were saved out of that. They were born again. And a little church was established in northern Maine. And they were known, and you'll, you'll allow this, but people used to call me as a child, Jesus freaks. They called me that. And they called my little brother that. And I was the only person in our school that did not go to Mass. I had to stay behind. All my friends went. And that's who I was known by. So I was sort of picked on for that. When I went into, into my freshman year, uh, I was picked on as well. Because as you can tell, I'm short. All my other friends were big and used to come by and give me noogies on my head. And put their class ring and they'd bang it on top of my head. And I thought, you know what? My parents never let me play sports. Because sports always happen on a, on a church night. So they said, no, no sports for you, you need to go to church. And I thought, in my freshman year, I thought, you know what, I'm done with all that. 
and I played soccer. I just joined. And I came home one day, I told my parents, I joined soccer. And they said, what are you thinking? I said, I won't go on Wednesday night. Like, That's Bible study. I'll try to do my best. And, uh, and, and uh, it actually worked out that our games were never on Wednesday, so I was able to play. And I committed to being not only uh, decent, but I wanted to be the best. And I gave it everything. And, uh, but that's how the enemy was working. The pride of life. To be good at something, and the enemy uses that as some obstacle in your life where you're not looking at God anymore, you're looking at yourself. That's what Brother Dave was talking about. And in my sophomore year, I was captain of our soccer team, and, and the enemy started to work. And he started to drill things in. And I remember looking at friends that I had, and they were into drinking. And they were into partying, junior year, senior year. And I thought, you know what, I'll never, 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 and I promised myself, I will never touch the stuff that they touch. Did you know that my senior year, I broke into a church, and we stole their alcohol? My senior year, I promised that I never touched that. I used to go to skating rinks, and I thought, you know what, I'll skate, and we'll be nice. And uh, my brother and I, uh, because I was picked on, I learned how to fight pretty quick. And we go to skating rinks and we look for the biggest guy that was there and we wanted to fight him. Especially if he was a bully. And we heard about one. I'll never forget it. Eric is a big guy. He's probably 6'5". Six, six, and my brother and I went and we knew that he was picking on people. And he'd always pick on people at the skating rink. And Mark and I said, there was one day, it was, a, it was a Monday morning. And we said, you know what? Today's the day for Eric. His day's marked. And we're going to take out Eric. And we started to corral that guy and we, we moved him closer to a sort of caterpillar truck that was outside the skating rink and we wanted to fight. And I'll never forget Eric. He was a big man. He took my younger brother and he threw him sideways. I don't know if you've ever seen a human being go sideways, but he did that. I'll never forget that. And he flew and my brother's head hit the side of the caterpillar truck and it sounded like a bell. And Mark got right back up again and we started fighting. And that's all we wanted to do was, was to sort of fight people. You say, well, how does that happen in a, in a Bible-loving home, in a God-fearing home? How does that happen when your dad preaches the gospel? How does that happen when you see your mother uh, read scripture and pray for your soul? It's sin, friends. I was born in sin. And it didn't matter if my parents were going to heaven. I was going straight to hell because of my sins. And that's the life that we lived. I left the skating rink. I'm telling you these stories because that's God was speaking. Uh, I left the skating rink one time with some of my friends, and as we're driving down the street, uh, this is what started to happen. See, the enemy doesn't throw sin and just pummel you with sin. He uses a little snowball and it starts to build. And as we're driving down the street, uh, there, was, it was, there, was a, there was a snowstorm, but I could see an individual walking on the street. And I told my friends, I was in the back seat, and uh, there was a can of soup, a big can. And I said, I bet you I could hit that person walking. And that car was driving, don't ever try this, you kids. That car was driving, we were going opposite of her. She was walking this way. And I threw the can as hard as I could over the side of the car. I hit her right in the face. You know what the crazy thing is? Is she was my grandmother's best friend. Not only did it shatter that relationship in a horrible way, but she was walking because she had just had a triple heart bypass. And the doctor had prescribed for her to walk. And get her heart back in check. And she's just trying to do the right thing. And I went and I ruined her life. That's sin. Sin. Now she's okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, I sent her flowers. And I guess uh, I felt really bad because it made the headlines in our little town. Uh, someone was hit by a can. and But I sent her flowers. She actually spit on the guy that sent, gave her the flowers. It wasn't even me. It was a guy that... And she crushed them on the ground. She was furious. That's who I was. That's what I was all part of there. I decided after high school 
uh, to go to uh, the University of Maine, Fort Kent. I was going to study biology. I had really no direction, but a lot of my friends wanted to be meds, uh, doctors. They wanted to go to med school, and they were studying bio, and I thought, well, I'll just do that. But I can tell you that that was 20 minutes from my home, but it still wasn't far enough. Because every time I came home, the Bible was opened on our table. Every time I came home, my dad would slam, hit me with a gospel track. Every time I came home, my mom would say, Matt, are you coming to gospel meeting tonight? And, and the enemy was working in my life. And I thought, I'll push that off. I'll push off the gospel message. And it was the first year in my freshman year of college that I got my first DUI. That's driving under intoxicated. I touched alcohol, something I thought I'd never touch in my life. And I had two of those. And I was thrown in jail for one of those. I'll never forget calling my mother and hearing her break over the phone. Because her son's in jail. She never thought that would happen. You know, I can tell you that today, I know individuals downtown in Chicago. And they're on the streets and they never dreamed or dreamt of ever being there. But sin came in. And that's the life that I lived. I was in there. I, I, I went three different times to jail. It was always for fighting. We'd go to a different bar and there was always a fight. There was always some sort of action in that particular place. I asked my mom today, I said, uh, Mom, I've told my story many times. I called her on the way back from Livingston. And I said, what was the biggest thing? I know you wanted me to get saved, but what was something that brought you to your knees? Because you prayed all the time. She said, Matt, you boys would leave America because we lived right on the border of Canada. And every Saturday, as you left at 7 o'clock in the afternoon, you'd come home at 4 o'clock in the morning. But she goes, I would get on my knees and I'd pray. Because you guys would always go over to Canada and you'd fight Canadians every single time. You were rough boys. It's almost like the enemy was training us to be these violent kids. And I never started fights. But if someone ran their mouth at me, I finished it. Not at me, at my friend. I always defended my friends. And we're always fighting. We're always in these circumstances. And one night we got into a, a particular fight with an individual. And I hit him in the... In the i got to be careful. I hit him with a bottle. How about that? Outside. And the police showed up. This is in Canada. And we ran out into the street to say, that's absolute depravity. Yes, it is. That's sin. That's what sin does. And we ran out in the streets and fighting wasn't good enough. So I chased the man down the street and kicked his truck in all the way down the street. And the police had to get me and they brought me in jail. Uh, and there I was. And I had to call my mom again. And have my mom bail me out. You know what? Christ's work at the cross, friend, bailed you out of your sin. It paid for your sin. You need to trust that. And I called my mom. I'll never forget this day. She drove up uh, to the, the, the jail and I watched on the outside. I was with guards. And I watched and they pulled back that huge gate and it made a bunch of noise. And I watched my mom sobbing in a truck to pick me up. It was $1,000 to bail me out of jail. That's sin. That's nothing I'm proud about. That's something that, 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 that I was part of because of sin. The heart of the problem is the heart. And my heart was desperately wicked. And the Bible says, so is yours. And there I was. So I, I ran off and I went to University of Maine Prescott. Fort Kent wasn't far enough. That was only 20 minutes from home. I wanted to be an hour and a half from home. And I majored sports medicine. In the meantime of all of this, from high school on, I, I dated a girl by the name of Christina. I can say transparently uh, and to my shame, I was never faithful to Christina for five years of my life. There was always someone new. There was always some new toy, some new game. There was always something new. And an hour and a half uh, from our home, I would come home sometimes on the weekend. 
And I'd show up at our house, and my dad, without any hesitation, he'd say, Matt, are we going to see you at meeting tomorrow? Are we going to see you at church tomorrow? Is what he's trying to say. And I said, yeah, yeah, Dad, I'll be there. And Saturday night we'd come, and Sunday morning we'd come, and I'd leave again. I was tired of hearing the gospel. That was, that was my life. I left University of Maine, Prescott, and I moved to Camden, Maine. I got a job with MBA America Bank, and I thought, you know, if I can just go make a little bit of money, I can get away from this sort of party scene, and I can get my life in check. That's the enemy's biggest lie. It's for you to get your life in check. Your life's in check if you trust Christ. He'll transform your life. He will change your life. And I listened to those lies. And I went off there. And again, it was nonsense after nonsense. And different fights. And then my, uh, the, 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 the challenge is the enemy allowed me to actually be good at my job. And uh, one of my bosses said, hey, you know what? There's a, a managerial spot and it's in Miami. Would you be willing to move? And I had nothing going for me. And I thought, if I could move 2,000 miles from our home, I'll move. I'm tired of hearing the gospel. I'm tired of hearing how God loves sinners. That's how callous you can become. I'm tired of it. So I moved to Miami. And uh, I moved there with a friend. He was a single guy, Brad. Within two weeks of being there, Brad, we both had motorcycles. I used to race motorcycles. I had uh, uh, Kawasaki Ninjas. I had CBRs. And um, the fastest I'd ever been on one was 160. I got mad at my parents once. And I floored that pig for everything it was worth. And I came over the hill right in front of my parents. And I came over that hill so fast that my bike came airborne. I was going over 150 miles an hour. And my mom chased me into town. And she said, Matt, you do that again. You're out of the house. She was scared. So we moved to Florida. Two weeks, uh, someone stole my friend's bike. He didn't even know how to ride a bike. He couldn't even start a bike. He bought the bike because he thought it was cool. And there it is, and they steal his bike, and they leave mine. And Brad says, Matt, this place is absolutely crazy. I'm moving back to Maine. So he moves. And there I was in Florida. I worked just for a couple months, and I decided I had some money saved up, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to spend a year on South Beach, and I'm going to live. Am I speaking to someone here tonight and you think, you know what, if I could just go through life, I could get past the, my family life, I'm speaking to someone younger, I can get past the gospel meetings, hearing about the word of God, I can get off into college and I could just live. It's an enemy, it's a lie from the enemy. Because you can't. You can't live without Christ. So there I was. Uh, I was so cold that uh, one night I was upset with Christina, she had moved down with me, and uh, I left her at a theater, a movie theater. And that was it, actually. There was no conversation. Uh, there was a five-year relationship there. And I said, you know what? It's done. I left her at the theater. And she had to call her parents 2,000 miles from there to fly her back home. It was over. That was the callous. I got into a fight with my brother, Mark. I'd never fought him before. I'd never put my hands on him before. But that night, I wanted to hurt him a lot. And Mark left. And Mark was a fighter. I'd never seen him back down off anyone. But he walked out of the apartment. And I chased him down to the pool. And I just wanted to fight. It was, there was anger inside. No, God wants to rid someone of all that. And I walked and Mark sat there and he wept. And he said, Matt, you know what? Ever since you've been down to Miami, he said, you're someone that, that I never knew growing up. Words that come out of your mouth. Actions that you take. You're not the Matt that I grew up with. And God was speaking. And I realized, you know what? He's right. I'm filthy. So I listened to the lie, as it were, and I moved back to Maine. I thought, you know what, I'll get my life back uh, ready again. I'll get it all set up again. I'll, I'll figure things out. I'll read some books. I'll read some manuals. You know what I need to read? The Word of God. That's what I need to read. And I moved back to Maine. And within a week, I was tired of hearing the gospel. So I moved to Portland, Maine, in a two-bedroom apartment with five men. Five men. 21 years old. That was the guy. One of our roommates was a drug dealer. So his, his closet was filled with drugs all the time. That's the life I lived. 
two bedrooms, five guys. So three of us would sleep on the floor. We'd sort of alternate. And there was always people coming in and out of that apartment, uh, sort of drug trafficking. That's what I left. I had a girl... Um, I'll tell you this too. I walked down the streets of Maine. If you go to Old Port, Maine, there's cobblestone, and you've probably been, but it's, it's tough to walk, I guess, because the stones are all different uh, heights. And without any detail, uh, I, I got into an altercation there with 18 different people. And it didn't go well on my end, of course. And uh, I remember walking down the street, and my, my face, as I, when I went to the hospital after, it looked like a ball that you drop and the ball just bounces all over. There was no round form at all. I was almost dead. I mean, it's 18 people. And a taxi guard pulled me pulled over and he said, hey, you need to go to the hospital. It's on me. The fare's on me. I'll take you. And he took me. And uh, I showed up at the hospital and the doctor said these words. He said, I don't know if you believe in a higher power. He goes, but someone was watching you tonight. Imagine. God is speaking again. And uh, so I was sort of tired with that lifestyle. We had gotten upset with my roommate Noah because he kept talking to us about bills. And he was always the guy who was more responsible. And yeah, he was the better looking of us too. And he always said, guys, it's, it's bill time. It's, we've got to pay the bills. Who's got cash for XYZ? So one night we got upset at him. And we took his Honda Accord and we threw it in the ocean. You know what actually broke my heart? is He, he walked in. It's funny when you hear it. But I remember because we ran down the street with this thing and it just went right over the cliff. But the next day... Poor Noah walked into the house and he was crying. And he said, you know what? Someone stole my car. (laughs) And he said, you know what? I worked my whole life for that car. That's all I have. And I'm just trying to go through college. And they took my car. And Freddie and I, we knew it was at the bottom of the ocean. And that was because of me. Lucy, who I knew in Florida, had called me and she said, Matt, uh, you need to move to Florida State University. You need to go back to college. And I thought, you know what? That's it. I'm going to get my life in check again. The enemy's lying. And so it was the first time in my life, first, I ever saw my father cry. And I went and I told him, I said, Dad, I'm moving back to Florida. And my dad didn't say a word. He walked up to me and he threw his arms around me and he hugged me and he wept. And I took our little dog, little Daisy, who's a little uh, miniature dash hound. And I said, you need to keep her too because I can't watch her. I'm not equipped to do that. I can't, I don't, I, I'm not responsible. And Daisy sat there in our driveway for two days. And I left my dog with her. She didn't move. I moved down to Florida, and I moved in a big house uh, at Florida State University. And was, I was living with five sorority sisters. You'd think, well, that's a, every guy's dream. It was absolute chaos. It was absolute heartbreak. I only lasted two weeks. And God was working in my life. And we go to different parties, and I noticed that uh, as you show up to this college party or this pool party, whatever it was, everything you could think of, everything you could imagine in your mind was happening there. Everything. And the police would show up, and this is what spoke to me, it was actually the judicial system. And they showed up in that town, and because the, the football team had so much power, they all drove Cadillacs. They were all there, and I was hanging around with these guys. And because they had so much pull, so much power, the police would say, hey, take XYZ off the table and bring it in the building so we don't see it, so we don't have to write you a ticket. And I thought, what world are we living in? What world? And on Saturday night, August 19th, 2001, I said, enough of this sinful life. I need to, I need to stay home. God was speaking. All the girls wanted me to go out and party. I said, no. And I took... Uh, my, I had an old guitar, a guild guitar, an acoustic guitar, and uh, I opened it up and I pushed past all my rock songs, CCR, all that garbage. 
And my neighbor came over and the enemy was trying again and he said, hey, come over and do X, Y, Z with me again. And that would have been attractive to me at that particular time. And I said, no. One ear said, one thing whispered in my ear, go. And one thing whispered in my ear, no. And I didn't go. And I stayed there. And I pushed past all the rock songs and I came to Amazing Grace. I was right at the bottom of my guitar. And it's only three chords, I believe. And I began to sing those words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now can see. And I realized for the first time in my life, I looked back and I said, I'm the wretch and I'm not saved. And I kept singing. If you look at verse 4, the words go just like this. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. And, I, and it struck me just like this. That in 10,000 years, mom and dad, they're in heaven. In 10,000 years, Matt, he's in hell beneath. I didn't have Christ. And I started to search. And I opened up the Word of God. My Bible had a bunch of... And I'm opening... Wait till I read right here. And I, and I opened the Bible. I said... If, and I hadn't prayed. I didn't know what it was like to pray. Maybe I'm speaking to someone here today and you're saying, Matt, I don't know how to get saved. I don't know how to pray. Friend, listen. You cry out to the God of heaven just the way you are. That's it. And I opened up the Bible and I remember there was dust all over it. My dad had bought me a Ryrie Bible just in hopes that one day I'd read it. And I pushed all the dust off and I asked God, I said, if you're real... I need you to speak to me right now. And I don't know where to read, but I'm going to open the Bible. If you're real, you need to speak. And you know what I read? Hear these words. Stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. And I realized that all the sin that I thought was fun, all the sin that I thought was secret, God knew it. And that sin would take me to an utter lost eternity filled with darkness. The guests of her sin are in the depths of hell. And it spoke to me. And I read these words. A wise son makes a glad father. I had shattered my father's, my father's heart. A foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. And I remember coming into the house many times. And I could look back. And there she was on her knees. And I came in in my drunken stupor. And I'd ask her, Mom, get up and make me a sandwich. I was a filthy, wretched sinner. I was a hardened sinner. Now as a young boy, here's what touched me in Livingston. There were kids that memorized scripture. I'm talking a lot of scripture. More than I ever memorized at your age, actually. I'm talking to Bruno here. But I heard him just spit scripture out today. It's just beautiful. But that's what spoke to me the night I got saved. And I remember as a kid, memorizing uh, verbatim Isaiah 53. I must have been six. I mean, my mom just pushed this stuff into us. And I thought, what's in Isaiah 53? 53 that, that, that speaks. I memorized the whole chapter. And I read all through Isaiah 53. Wounded for our transgressions. Boosted for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. Despised, rejected a man, a man of sorrows. And I came to verse 10, and it struck me. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It wasn't that God was happy. It's that God was satisfied with the work of Christ. And I remember my father being saved, and he had gotten saved through John chapter 3 and verse 16. I said, what, what was it about that particular man? My father was saved in the middle of a potato field, looking up at the stars of heaven. And John 3 and verse 16 struck him. And I read John 3 and verse 16, and I read it, and it read just like this. I didn't have to read it twice, but I read it just like this. For God so loved Matt... That he gave his only son for Matt. That if Matt believes in him, Matt will never perish. Matt will have everlasting life. And that moment, I trusted in Jesus Christ. And I'll never perish. Not because I say it. God says it, friend. God says you'll never perish if you trust him. You know what I did? I actually ran down the street. I was in 
boxers, I think, actually, or shorts. I don't want to put some crazy image in your mind. I ran down the street. And you said, where were you going? I was going to call my mother. And it was probably 2.30 in the morning, and I remember calling my mom back then, and the kids don't know today. We had pay phones back in the day. And you'd have to call, and it was a collect call. Uh, and this is how many times I'd called my mother to bail me out of something, or it was always bad news. It was never good news. And I called her, and the, if you don't know how a collect call works, uh, when you, they rings, they say, say your name, you say Matt, and the other person hears that name Matt, and then they choose to answer it or not, and then they pay for it. And I called my mother. It was a, a broken neighborhood. I ran all the way a couple miles. I called her, and uh, these are the words that my mother said to me over the phone. Matt, what have you done now? <laughs> and you know what I was able to tell her? And she's not only my mom anymore, but she's my sister in Christ. I said, Mom, we're going to heaven together. The circle's not broken. We're going to heaven. Jesus died for me. And I spoke to her for a couple hours on a collect call, probably the most expensive call she ever got. My dad called me the next morning. He said, Matt, what happened last night? Tell me all about it. And I told her, told him. When the girls came home that night, uh, they saw me. I had an open Bible. I, I was crying. Uh, it's kind of dramatic, right? But uh, there I was. I was sitting there at 3 in the morning. Lucy said to me, what in the world happened to you? What did you touch? Like, what did you do? Is there something we should know about? Should we take you to the hospital? I said, no, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. And I'm done with this and I'm moving tomorrow. And I drove in the morning. I woke up. The birds were chirping. The grass was different. I'm telling you, it was different in my life. I had a new appreciation for God's creation. And I drove straight back to Maine, 2,000 miles. I didn't, didn't stop. 20-something hours, I just drove straight. That's what God does. And He'll transform your life tonight. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Life. And that moment I passed from death unto life. And you can tonight. Let's pray. Amen.